At 5.30 in the morning on July 16, 1979, an earthen dam failed at the Church Rock uranium mill in Navajo Nation. It released 94 million gallons of radioactive material, as well as 1,100 tons of uranium tailings into the Rio Puerco, which thousands of Navajo people used to supply drinking water for themselves and their livestock. It would be days before people in the surrounding areas were told to avoid the river, which the radioactive material had turned bright orange. Livestock died en masse, crops withered away, sheep were born without hair, children burned their feet playing in puddles that contained levels of radiation 500 times higher than what's safe. The Church Rock uranium spill would become the worst radioactive incident in United States history. To this day, it remains the second worst radioactive incident in the world, behind only Chernobyl. Today, I want to talk about the history of uranium mining in Navajo Nation, the Church Rock uranium mill disaster, and why you've probably never heard of it. Thanks for tuning in this week. You're listening to Hidden History. I'm Ellis Tucci, and this is episode 124, Church Rock. Hidden History is always available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and www.hiddenhistory.show. If you like this episode, then consider subscribing or sharing with a friend. To start this episode, we need to go back to the 1940s, to the beginning of the post-World War II nuclear boom. From 1945 to 1950, the American nuclear stockpile grew from two bombs to 299 bombs. Five years later, it would increase to 2,400, and in 1965, it would peak at 31,000. In order to sustain this massive growth, the U.S. government, or more accurately, corporations contracted by the U.S. government, needed to find a cheap domestic source of uranium. They found it in the American Southwest, specifically in Navajo Nation, a territory about the size of West Virginia, which extends into Arizona, Utah, and New Mexico. The structural disenfranchisement of the Navajo people allowed American corporations to offer exploitative contracts for the extraction of uranium. Given that Navajo Nation was and is one of the poorest places in the country, current poverty rates for families with children is 46%. Navajo leaders were compelled to accept these contracts in the hope that the mines would bring much-needed employment and development to the reservation. By the late 1950s, there were over 750 uranium mines on Navajo land. Unsurprisingly, it turned out that these companies did not bring the prosperity that they had promised. Navajo workers were on the front lines of uranium extraction and were treated like disposable objects by their employers. Though the severe health risks of inhaling uranium dust were known as early as 1929, not only were Navajo miners given no respiratory protection and forced to mine when significant amounts of ore dust remained in the air from explosions, but the mines themselves were not properly ventilated. It was industry standard for uranium mines to be pumped with fresh air in order to reduce radon levels, a cancer-causing gas produced by the mining process. To top it off, they weren't even told that they were working with a dangerous material. 
Unsurprisingly, as the years passed, miners and peoples in surrounding towns began to die increasingly early deaths. Diseases that were previously unheard of, lung cancer, bone cancer, kidney disease, began to crop up in ever-increasing numbers. Miners who became sick were immediately fired. Though the church rock spill is ultimately what this is building towards, there's evidence to suggest that these companies regularly released radioactive byproducts and toxic water into nearby rivers and tributaries from the very beginning of their operations. Until 1980, untreated water from uranium mines across Navajo lands was discharged into the Puerco River at a rate of 2.8 million gallons per year. This is as good a time as any to talk about what exactly these operations entailed, how uranium is mined, and how its deadly byproducts are supposed to be managed. When uranium ore comes out of the mine, it has to be processed at a mill where it undergoes a multi-stage transformation. First, the ore is roasted, which dries up any clay deposits and oxidizes a number of extraneous minerals. After that, the ore is crushed into a fine sand and moves to what's called the leaching stage. Leaching is a complex chemical process that requires mixing the crushed ore with a number of acids or bases, usually sulfuric acid, in order to separate the uranium from a number of other toxic and radioactive materials that may be present in the ore, including arsenic, lead, thorium, and plutonium. This mixture is called liquor. While the uranium will eventually precipitate out of the liquor and be dried and turned into yellow cake, the form used in power plants and bombs, the leaching process also produces what are called tailings, a radioactive sludge made up of all the minerals separated during the leaching process. They can retain up to 85% of the ore's original radiation, each ton of ore mined contains between 1 and 4 pounds of uranium, leaving behind, at best, 1,996 pounds of tailings. This combination of liquor and tailings is then stored in massive open-air ponds. Eventually, all the water evaporates, and the remaining minerals are dug up and buried in huge piles. Hundreds of them still dot the landscape of Navajo Nation. They collectively constitute 140 million tons of nuclear waste. Now that we know a little bit about the milling process, it's time to talk specifically about Church Rock. The United Nuclear Corporation opened the Church Rock uranium mine in 1967 on Navajo lands 17 miles northeast of Gallup, New Mexico. It grew to become the second most productive uranium mine in Navajo Nation, producing some 3.5 million tons of ore over its lifetime. Mine infrastructure expanded steadily. Soon its shafts extended 1,000 feet below ground. In 1977, the UNC built an on-site mill to process the ore into yellow cake. The creation of the tailings evaporation ponds necessitated the construction of a 35-foot-tall earthen dam to keep hundreds of millions of gallons of radioactive material from rushing into a seasonal tributary of the Puerco River. There were, however, 
a number of problems. The dam itself had been built on unstable ground, directly on a large pocket of silt, which already put it on shaky footing. But to make matters worse, the United Nuclear Corporation had illegally constructed the ponds without a lining, leaving the highly acidic toxic sludge to freely eat away at the foundations of the dam. These two factors guaranteed its failure. Sure enough, as early as December of 1977, the very year it was built, cracks were reported in the foundation of the dam. The UNC received these reports, and ignored them. Well, I suppose it's not fair to say they ignored them. They did in fact do something. They painted over the cracks. They would later ignore reports from the Army Corps of Engineers and their own engineering consultant, issued throughout 1977 and 1978, warning that the combination of factors were seriously threatening the dam's stability. Actually, I suppose they did the opposite of ignore them. They actively disregarded them, overfilling the tailings ponds to dangerous levels. As late as the summer of 1979, an engineer reported on, quote, fist-sized cracks in the side of the dam. Just a few weeks later, it failed. At 5.30 a.m. on July 16, 1979, one of the previously reported cracks gave way, leaving a 20-foot-high hole in the 35-foot dam. Out rushed 1,100 tons of tailings and 94 million gallons of liquor. It was funneled down a seasonal arroyo and directly into the Puerco River, which became bright orange and covered everything it touched in a slimy film. The waters now contained astronomical amounts of uranium, thorium, lead, plutonium, arsenic, sulfuric acid, and radium. Radiation levels at the base of the dam were 7,000 times higher than legal limits. Unsafe levels of radiation were found as far as 115 miles downstream. The toxic surge had flowed past the homes of approximately 1,700 Navajo people, contaminating their only significant water source. Someone at UNC finally noticed the breach at 6 a.m. and shut off Tailing's discharge into the pond, and by 8 a makeshift berm had somewhat stemmed the flow, but the damage was already done. The New Mexico Environmental Improvement Division, now the Environment Department, stepped in to monitor radioactivity in the river and ordered the UNC to suspend operations at the Church Rock Mill. The EID then broadcast a radio message warning people not to drink the water. The problem is, many of the Navajo whose land had been the worst contaminated were too poor to own radios. It would be days until the UNC and the state posted notices in the surrounding area warning the population, and even then they were in English, a language many on the reservation did not speak. Eventually, the UNC dispatched some of its Navajo employees to warn people individually. The UNC was then ordered to clean up the contaminated area. What they did was send small teams of men into the riverbed with hand shovels and trowels to fill up some 55-gallon drums with dirt. Over a month and a half after the spill, they had only cleaned up half a percent of the contaminated area. They tapped out three months after the incident, 
having completed a whopping 1% of the cleanup, removing only the top three inches of soil from a small portion of the Puerco Riverbed. Quite surprisingly, that was not an adequate response, and soon a number of water wells in the area were found to be polluted with thorium, a leukemia-causing mineral which has a half-life of, get this, 80,000 years. With only 1% of the cleanup accomplished, the UNC asked the government to restart yellow cake production. Unbelievably, they said yes, and on November 2nd, 1979, the Church Rock Mill resumed production, storing more liquor and tailings in more unlined ponds, which worsened groundwater pollution even further. The failed dam was rebuilt, and the breached pond was reused. Eventually, the nuclear bust of the early 80s made uranium mining uneconomical for UNC, who, through a series of acquisitions, then restructured into shipbuilding, tool machining, and offshore oil. To the workers at Church Rock, they said that the plant would be closing temporarily, but when it closed in 1982, it would be for good. UNC effectively abandoned the site. The Church Rock spill, though much worse than, and happening within weeks of, the Three Mile Island partial meltdown, received effectively zero press coverage. Newspapers that did cover it said that it had happened in a sparsely populated area and posed, quote, no immediate health risks. In a 1983 interview, UNC spokesperson Juan Velasquez said, quote, the situation with the spill is that it has all been cleaned up. When asked why there were radioactive materials 100 miles downstream from the spill site, he said it was, quote, simply erroneous to assume that it was caused by the UNC and that it was really the fault of, quote, natural uranium outcroppings in the river, a claim which, of course, is not substantiated by any evidence whatsoever. The brazenness of this lie in particular really highlights how little respect UNC had for their victims and how confident they were that they would get away with it. They claimed that the spill was all cleaned up, while only a single percent had actually been completed. They claimed that the spill had only released one curie of radiation, while the real number was 46. The Navajo Nation proceeded to sue the United Nuclear Corporation, eventually receiving a paltry $525,000 out-of-court settlement, equivalent to approximately $2,000 for each victim. UNC successfully pivoted into other industries and by the mid-90s was making a billion dollars per year. In 1997, it was bought by General Electric for $330 million. In 1983, the Church Rock Mine was declared a Superfund site, and became one of the many abandoned radioactive mines covering Navajo Nation. There are at least 1,032 of them. After decades of inaction, in 2012, the EPA and UNC announced their commitment to a plan to clean up the Church Rock Mine, but in the intervening decade, there has been little substantial progress. Dozens of people's homes have been destroyed, contaminated enough to be considered radioactive waste by the EPA, and 38 drinking wells have been condemned as contaminated. The ponds have been somewhat filled, and there is an insubstantial effort at groundwater remediation. 
the poisonous soil remains unmoved. The EPA has said that the mines themselves won't even be cleaned up until at least 2027, and there remains no plan from either party for cleaning up the Puerco River. It's estimated that 85% of the radiation from the spill is still present in Navajo lands. Instead of committing any significant effort to the cleanup, the EPA is instead pressuring Navajo residents to move to Gallup, New Mexico, outside of Navajo Nation. Some people, out of options and with failing health, have taken the government up on their offer. One resident compared it to the Trail of Tears. There has not been a single study to find out what impact the spill has had on the Navajo people. The only government study was conducted on livestock. The results, however, are plain to see. Rare cancers in the throat, lungs, kidney, and bones are significantly higher than the American average. Crops die on the vine, and animals are unwell. The organs and meat of slaughtered sheep, a primary food source, are sickly black and yellow. Both the land and the people are dying. When the HBO series Chernobyl came out in 2019, I remember that there was a lot of commentary along the lines of, wow, this really shows the cruel, uncaring nature of the Soviet Union. Imagine if something like that happened in America. Our response would be so much better. Well, here you have it. The second worst nuclear disaster in the world, second only to Chernobyl. And how did the American government handle it? Essentially, they made the perpetrator give the victims two grand each and called it case closed. 85% of that radiation is still there, poisoning everything it leaches into. If the EPA successfully cleans up the mines by 2027, which, let's be honest here, that's probably not going to happen, then that'll be 48 years after the spill itself. A partial cleanup in a half a century. Then there's still the problem of the Puerco Riverbed, not to mention the dozens of wells, all contaminated with cancer-causing chemicals that are going to stick around for more than 80,000 years. I hope that in the years to come, the Navajo people might see some degree of justice for this incredible crime that has been perpetrated against them. Though with the state our government is in, that does seem somewhat unlikely. Sorry to end this episode on a down note, but I do hope you enjoyed the show this week. If you did, then subscribe, share the show with a friend, or rate it on Spotify. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. This is Ellis Tucci at Hidden History, signing off.